Hi, and welcome to our podcast, Depends on the Topic. Each week we rotate who's hosting, and that host picks the topic and the guidelines for that episode. So, quick introduction, I am Taylor. I'm Chris. I'm John. I'm Rob. You go last, John. John is hosting this week. John, what are we talking about this week? (laughs) We're, We're talking about a passion of mine, Star Wars. And what I want from each of you is to talk about your favorite Star Wars. It can be, when I say Star Wars, it can be anything uh, like a book, TV show, episode, action figure, whatever you want. I think we'll start off with Rob this time. All right. So I'm going to start out with my favorite character from Star Wars, uh, which is definitely Jar Jar Binks. Um, I think that it was... Yeah, I mean, it was a pretty genius character decision for, uh, I guess that would be George Lucas, right? I don't know. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, in, in reality, I, I would have to say, I think my favorite Star Wars movie would probably be episode three, almost entirely just because of the opening scene. Um, I remember, I think I was a senior in high school when that movie came out, or maybe it was an eighth grader in middle school. I can't remember. I know it was like at the end of a period of, you know, section of schooling. And we went to the movie theater to watch that movie. And I was like blown away by the space battle that it opens up the movie. You know, I mean, you know how all the star Wars movies open up with the song and then the like three paragraphs, and then it'll just like pan down to a planet. Well, this one, I'm if I remember correctly, and it's been a while, but it like pans down to this massive ship battle that's taking place between like these, star destroyer looking clone ships and like the droid army you know back when the they were the bad guys you know they're just they're going in going at it like you know old sailboats would do back in like the colonial period just launching cannon rounds at one another and stuff i don't know that scene is always like i could go back and watch that scene and just be like man that's pretty cool set it to like a heavy metal song (laughs) no that and it was about the time that my one of my favorite games star wars related was star wars battlefront 2 i remember i I couldn't even wait for that to come out because that they were going to introduce those space battles you could go from one ship to another like dock in their bay and like go in and like destroy it from the inside so i would say that was my uh favorite star wars moment and game and and character because jar jar binks you know best character so all right, that's a like as you were saying, that's a that's a bold choice with the Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> <laughs> but I uh, I think that the opening of Revenge of the Sith is pretty awesome as well, with the Vinegar class ships slugging out with the separatist ships. That's pretty awesome. So, Rob, have you ever watched the Clone Wars series, or have I talked to you about that? So I have watched, I think like the first season of that, uh, of that series, it was like, I was on my way back from uh, JRTC down at Fort Polk heading to Georgia. It was like 10 hours just across the most nasty part of the country, Southeast, like right on I-10. And we just had that up in our uh, little truck we were driving in. To be honest with you, that was like three years ago. So I don't, I don't remember much about it other than that it has that Little girl with the blue hair that is Anakin's Padawan. I've watched the whole thing through. It starts off with a movie that introduces her, and then it picks up just sort of the the story of the Clone Wars. And there, some episodes are more interesting than others. But overall, the show starts off kind of 
childish rhythm of a TV show sort of thing. Here's your lesson for how to be a Jedi today kind of things. But as it progresses, it gets better and better and better. And then it's like in season three or four, there's like a redesign. Somebody else got in charge of it or something. And it like instantly gets leaps and bounds better. The plot lines get deeper. There's like three or four episode, like mini series, like mini stories that are like would be a movie length. It gets really good. And then by the end, the last season is just just prestigious level stuff. It is so good. If you wouldn't watch it individually, it would be good. But if you've done the time of watching the whole show and getting to know these characters, the Jedi characters and then some of the clones have all their personalities and backstory and their story arcs. And the last four episodes, three or four episodes, I think it's the last four episodes of season seven, deserve to be a standalone feature-length movie. They are so good. And it mm. feeds directly into that battle. Like the the one of the, the last time you see Anakin and Obi-Wan in the show is when they're like, oh my gosh, the Emperor's just been abducted. And they like jump in and run off into the sunset. It's really, really good. I'm not going to tell Thanks you anything. Thanks for spoiling it for everybody else. <laughs> no, that's, we'll that's, put a spoiler I'm, alert thing at the beginning of the episode. I think I've dodged all the spoilers, haven't I? They did a, a pretty good job. I mean, it's pretty not good. that big a deal to say that a show feeds into a movie. Well, now but we it, know it, that Anakin survives. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. Next yeah, thing we'll know, he turns into Darth Vader or something. Now, seven seasons of peril after peril. I, I'm not going to wonder how's he going. You know, is he going to survive? <laughs> yeah. What will happen next? So, one of my other favorite Star Wars memories from growing up is playing. I forget exactly which one it was, but it was one of the Jedi Knight games, one of the early ones back on PC before there was like you know better game systems where you would play as Kyle Katarn. I very vividly remember getting in a lot of trouble with my mother. Because at, at one point in that game, you could actually go to the dark side by killing your partner. And I did that. And my mom was very upset that I, uh, I chose that path. So it took the game away from me and everything. That's pretty good. You know, speaking of games, I'd like to uh, maybe start off with my favorite Star Wars, if that's okay. Go ahead. So hands down, the best of the Star Wars franchise and uh, you can try to argue this, I just don't think you're going to be very successful, is Lego Star Wars The Complete Saga. On whatever platform you choose, it is the best out of out of all the Star Wars. Hmm. I am very uh, curious to hear why. Do you have you games ever, or movies? Like, do, it's a like, game, like all the Lego movies? Star Wars Complete Saga. It was the first uh, Lego anything game that I played, and it's unlike any other game except for now the dozens of lego whatever games it was it was one of the first lego ones they came out with that actually really really was successful and it was really fun they basically do the entire star wars story uh, at least for the complete saga it'll do the uh, the two first trilogies it's done completely without talking so it's like lego figures that are kind of like miming to each other and it's all hilarious there's I mean, even the serious stuff they try to make funny because it's meant for you know the whole family. The play style is fun. You can drop in and out with two players at any point. My wife would play with me. I would have no problem when my kid's old enough to play for him to play with me too. If you guys haven't shared it, uh, you should definitely find it. It's probably pretty cheap on whatever platforms you can find it on now. Um, and it's totally worth it. It's so fun. You basically, your main menu, your kind of home station is the cantina. 
with the music playing and everything. Oh, I think I have you, played that. You run around there, and they, there's different doors and different ways you can start your levels and go through the entire story. And there's like collectibles the whole time. Like the whole time you're playing the game, you can find some bonus stuff. Like you collect different uh, like gold Lego bricks or whatever, and, and you just kind of unlock all the all the different Star Wars characters and and light side, dark side. You can make a custom Lego Star Wars character with your own lightsaber if you want. Uh, it's just it's awesome. It's really fun. I'm probably going to go play it when we're done doing this. Best memories I have of, of Star Wars stuff are that game. Because it, it, it kind of covers all the, the first uh, two trilogies and, and you kind of get that whole gambit of the story. But it's actually just a really fun way to, to do it all. If I had to pick a movie, for me, it's actually episode four. So the very first one. And the reason for that is because it it was kind of, you know, obviously it's the first that they, they released, first they came out with. And I think the the way they introduced it just throwing you right into the middle of this pretty complex story but you didn't really feel lost and the the, the way they set it up is cool um and so when you just kind of jump right into it and you're like whoa that's cool i'm in this like this like space scenario and it's all this stuff going on you never really felt like you had to i don't know discover what was going on i feel like it's really easy to jump right in the jedi were special but they weren't like all powerful so there still seemed to be kind of like a, I don't know, an air of humanity to them. And so they were, they, it still seemed like a, a different kind of struggle that I, I think I appreciate more than in the later episodes when you can apparently just do whatever you want with the force. Indeed, and it's not a, a catch-all or anything like that. There's limitations. Yeah, it was just like, here's these monk-type people, these Jedi, and, and they're, most of them are old, and uh, they could kind of like, kind of, force their will in in these good ways to to kind of help them on this journey but it wasn't quite as fantastical as it became later on right i think that was a deliberate pivot when they made episode one the whole idea was that you know when we saw them in episode four in a new hope it's called a new hope because they had lost all hope because the you know the jedi had failed and the republic had fallen and the empire had taken over so there had been this period of darkness. And so, of course, the only people that are left are like what you're saying. These like sort of like lowly, humble, beaten old men or aliens. And so, I I mean, I, don't, I well, I, I get what you're saying. That that's what you, you prefer, that type of storyline. But I, I, my only clarification is that I don't think it's like disingenuous or inconsistent for them when we jump back, you know, to whatever that is supposed to be. 40 or 50 years prior before the fall that they're at the height of their power and influence and prestige for keeping peace in the galaxy all over the place. Of course, you know, you're going to have, you know, the, the Qui-Gon Jinns and the Obi-Wans are going to be in their prime. I, I saw an interview one time with, with, I think it was with Lucas that when they designed that lightsaber battle at the end of episode one uh, with the two of them and Darth Maul, it was supposed to be sort of like, give you perspective on where the Jedi were at right now. And I remember him saying something like, because up to this point, all we've seen is old men and then a young boy who was taught by an old man, you know, we haven't seen the Jedi in their prime. And so that's why they gave us that Darth Maul, Obi-Wan, Qui-Gon Jinn fight. Whereas like everyone at the top of their game is going mm. ham. Probably one of the most, one of my favorite lightsaber duels outside the, uh, the range of the Sith at the end. I think it's the best. Why do you think it's the best? Tell us more. 
uh, lightsaber battle. I think it's the best lightsaber. It's, I, I would not pick that for my best movie. No, that's why I meant. Like, why would you yeah. think it's the best lightsaber battle over the other end? Sith one with uh, Obi Wan and Anakin duking it out. Anakin, Darth Maul, especially when you have the context for the rest of the Clone Wars series, you know who he is. He's the he was intended to be like sort of the pinnacle apprentice for the Sith, ready to overthrow the Jedi. And then we know from the rest of the universe, you know, of, of storytelling that Obi-Wan is more or less the prestige. I mean, he's not the chosen one, but I think he probably like is like the strongest Jedi and Qui-Gon Jinn is the wisest of, of the Jedi, at least at that time. And so the two of them together are just a power team. And for them to be the ones that happen to be matched up against Darth Maul, it was like this big, epic, best of the best meeting with each other. It was really, really cool. And the music's really good. <laughs> yeah. Now, here's a, here's a question for you. If Qui-Gon Jinn survived the fight with Darth Maul and went on to train Anakin Skywalker, do you think he would have fallen to the dark side? Well, you know, you're phrasing the question. I have a pushback question. Which he... Anakin or Qui-Gon? I wouldn't see Qui-Gon fall to the dark side. Uh, why? I, because I know he doesn't do things like exactly how what you'd normally think of the Jedi, but I think he does things practically and what you or I would do. I remembered one of the one of the books about I think it's called the Apprentice series when Obi-Wan was young with uh, training with Qui-Gon. They said that that's something Qui-Gon dealt with all the time as he struggled with the, with like using the dark side in fights and stuff like that. Like it would overtake him sometimes. So I don't know. I would like to argue that he would not have gone to the dark side because if Anakin had a good mentor, like Qui-Gon there taking care of him, unlike we one Kenobi, who was off on, you know, motorcycle rides around the world, either <laughs> the long way up or the long way around, you know, he probably would have been better off. <laughs> you gotta keep your focus at home. <laughs> there was a an interview I was watching at about the difference between Obi Wan and Qui Gon. Obi Wan being more like a a brother to Anakin as opposed to Qui Gon, who had been that father figure. But we all know Anakin didn't have a father; he was conceived by the uh, the Force. And so I think that if you he was craving that father figure, and that's where we uh, kind of got attached to Palpatine because he kind of saw Palpatine as a father figure over him as opposed to obi-wan with the brother side of things it's funny you say that you know palpatine is a father figure i think of the now non-canon star wars legends and i might have this wrong so don't send me hate email but i think it says that palpatine through the force was anakin's father Palpatine was working this angle from the get-go. I think Palpatine was like intimidated by Qui-Gon. Like, I think Qui-Gon was the titan of Jedi wisdom at the time. In a different way than Yoda. I mean, not the same. I was going to say, what? What about Yoda? Yeah, well, Yoda, Yoda lost, right? Like, Yoda's right. He failed. Had to go in hiding. He's also only like a foot and a half tall, so. As true. you can see. It's true, but as you can see, that height doesn't really matter that much when you have the force. Well, except for Mace Windu is the one who actually beat him. Mace Windu beat him in a one-on-one -on -one duel, and he had him down until Anakin came in and got all emotional and interfery. Growing up, whenever I saw Mace Windu flat the window, I always thought he survived because you never see him 
technically die like you did with all the other Jedi during the Order 66 part. So I was like, oh, he's alive. He'll come back around sometime. I still hold on to that hope. <laughs> yeah, that's so, yeah, it's possible. So maybe. my favorite Star Wars movie, which I still haven't done yet. I don't know. I thought it was the Clone Wars. <laughs> They're good. They're good. I'm going to go with Rogue One, though. Ooh. Okay. I, I think it's Rogue One, man. Because part of it has to do with the timing for when it was released. In between what I'll graciously say were not my favorite Star Wars movies. <laughs> That's a fair point. In, in the in the sequel trilogy, those those would qualify pretty low in my list. But the Rogue One came out, and it they managed to make a modern movie with all the modern technologies and all. It wasn't overbearing in the CGI and stuff like that. The storyline, the characters were deep and interesting, and unique. They weren't just like pulling archetypes from other Star Wars stories that have already been told. The droid was actually funny for once, which they, they messed that up a few times. Yes, uh, yes, they did. And the whole time I was watching it the first time, when I realized, oh, they are getting it. They're getting the plan to the Death Star and they're going to leak it. And the whole thing worked and spoiler alert, you know, I, you know, whatever, if you haven't seen it, but big spoiler alert coming. The one thing I kept thinking to myself, I was like, please don't cheat us out of the story by letting these people live. Because in episode four, when they have the thing, when they have the plans, I don't know her name, but the, the leader lady in the white dress, she says something like, you know, a lot of good people die or soldiers die or something like that to get us these plans. And so that's what I was thinking of. I was like, if they let these characters live, it's like a cop-out and I hate a cop-out. And you know when they did a cop-out? They did a cop-out in episode nine with C-3PO. Yeah. <laughs> they, had that, they had that whole thing built up. Where he's going to die to save us all, to figure out this ridiculous little plan with the knife and the, well, don't even get me started on that. But they did it. They, that was like their emotional like cash-in was he's giving his droid life for the greater good. And I'm taking one last look at my friends. And then he, and then he droid dies. And then they just like reboot him. And he's like saved 12 hours later and he's just back. I was like, that is such a cop out. If you're going to, if you want, and they did the same thing with Chewbacca. They killed Chewbacca and then they were like, oh, never mind. He was on the other ship. That was in shot. <laughs> like, what? Like, what are you, you're wasting my time with like emotional cash in that's not really there. So then when it happens in the future, I'm not going to trust you that I should actually care about what you said just happened. But in Rogue One, they didn't. In Rogue One, they got the plans out. There was no way off the island or planet or whatever, and the Death Star fired, and they just sat there and died, and it was correct. And so I liked the integrity of the storytelling and the depth, and it showed the nitty gritty dark side of fighting a rebellion. Mm, and how exactly, hard it it's, it's not all I'm... cut and dry. Yeah, it's not a Lego Star Wars. <laughs> I wish. Just, just to kind of circle back that the. Lady was Mon Mothma, by the way. Mon Mothma. Mm, thank you. Yep, You're welcome. Right. You're welcome. I if you had said Mon Mothma, I would have been able to remember who she was. But I didn't, I didn't want to interrupt you while you're going on. Well explained, sir. I would definitely. I I really enjoyed Rogue One as well, especially the the nitty grittiness of this. It wasn't all, hey, you know, we're rebellion. We're the good guys. Cassian, I believe his name is Cassian Andor, showed out that he wasn't. You know, he wasn't a typical rebellion dude. He definitely uh resorted to underhanded tactics like at the beginning where he 
was trying to get the information and pretty much killed that informant in cold blood and ran yep. away. He was not a good guy. Assassinated his own informant. Exactly. And then Jin Urso also, she had a bit of a troubled backstory as well. You know, her father got press gang back in a building Death Star and basically grew up with Saul Guerrero for a bit and then got left and she bounced in and out of prison. So she definitely had a, a troubled backstory. And Saul Guerrero, he was essentially a, a terrorist as well. He did things that weren't by the book, according to Mon Matha. So he wasn't very well liked. Yeah, and you know, I, f- I forgot to mention the main point of that movie was how did they get the plans? But what they really did was they closed one of the big, dumb plot <laughs> errors in, not plot errors, I guess, but like one of the big, dumb problems with the early stuff was you've got this one port that you can shoot and the entire Death Star blows up. Uh, okay, come on. Like, did then <laughs> Did nobody like war game this thing and see if there was any <laughs> any faults, right? And I liked that there was a very deep character with like strong motivations. His wife's been killed, daughter's gone, he's been kidnapped, and he's going to sacrifice not just his life by dying, but sacrifice his life by living in a deliberate way for decades as he lays this plan to undo the empire in this like like that the type of cold dedicated motivation that it would take to live that out and not give up and day in and day out, do your job, do it well enough that nobody gets suspicious and that you continue in this very prestigious, important position. But meanwhile, have one thing that you're holding on to, to undo all the work that you're doing, your own life's work. And yeah, I lay this, lay this fault in the system. I think that's cool. was definitely calculated for sure. I don't know if I'd be able to do something like that. Just plan out over however many decades this, like you were saying, that one fatal flaw to undo all that work. That's insane planning. I mean, how many times do we have jobs that like, I don't really care about this job, you know, or maybe even jobs that you don't like the company that you work for or whatever. But this guy had already left because he knew the Empire was evil. And so he had fled and taken his family. And then when they found him, killed his wife on the spot. Right? Didn't yeah and then technically she did try to assassinate director krennic but uh i mean she had good reason but still <laughs> yeah i think it's i think it's all perspective like you know the whole empire versus rebellion it, it's kind of like john and i were joking the other day about a meme i had seen posted where it was comparing uh, boba fett and han solo and they were saying that boba fett had a legitimate profession but he was villainized whereas han solo was literally a drug smuggler but he was labeled a hero so it's all how the show and the movie writes it up, right? So, I mean, they're going to make the Empire look bad, but the Rebellion is literally a rebellion that, like you guys pointed out, does some dirty stuff, mm-hmm. saying. Well, as far as the Boba Fett versus Han Solo thing, you can be, you can have a legitimate job, but if you work for a dirty boss, that's kind of your choice there. Uh, Han Solo kind of did the opposite, right? He started off dirty, and then he was like, you know what? I kind of have to do something bigger. But then, like you said, there's still the perspective, too. I'm sure not everybody that's part of the Empire necessarily consider themselves to be evil. Like, why are these people resisting? Like, this is the system. This is how it works. Why are these people trying to fight us? Yep, they were just trying to bring order to the galaxy. So I almost actually said Rogue Rogue One. And because I thought it was a nice movie. I only seen it once. I just knew I remember that I liked it. I also liked 
Solo, a Star Wars story. And I, I remember being a little disappointed by the ending, but I almost understand why I was disappointed. And it's because you, you, you get invested watching a movie like that and you want there to be a good ending, happy ending, whatever. But they needed to set up Han Solo with a slightly jaded past, right? Like, because of how he's introduced and how he behaves later. Remind me how it ends? The love of his life that is like his partner in heroism and crime the entire movie decides that basically to do what the Death Star planner did. She sides with the bad people because she thinks she can do more there. She leaves Han stranded on a mountaintop with his bounty, basically, and ditches him so she could be a part of the you know the bigger system whether that's for for good reasons or not it's not really clear and oh by the way the end of that movie she's like skyping with darth maul which is awesome i personally thought that was really cool i wasn't a big fan of that part because if you only watch the movies it doesn't really make sense because last time we see darth maul in episode one he gets chopped in half and falls down a seemingly bottomless pit Uh, spoiler if you haven't watched the clone wars he shows back up in the Clone Wars and he survived that large fall due to and due to his unbridled rage and hatred towards Obi-Wan. And that's how he survived for all those years. I think that's pretty awesome. Well, lightsabers cauterize wounds, so he didn't necessarily have to bleed out. Well, it's just like you're surviving a seemingly bottomless pit, you know? So, and then the other thing with that is, so he got cut in half and Qui-Gon took a lightsaber, I believe, to the stomach. Yeah. So, how is like the, going back to what you guys were saying earlier, how does like the wisest, more powerful of the Jedi die from a, you know, stomach wound in and out, but this dude gets cut in half and lives due to rage? It's kind of crazy. Yeah, well, Qui-Gon might have, if we're going to, if we're going to start, if we're going to flesh this out, Qui-Gon being... You know, the wise Jedi who had cracked the code in his force studies on how to continue to live after you die. You know, Come path towards with immortality. The force. Yeah. He's all those little force ghosts that walk around. That didn't happen to everybody else. He was the first one that figured that out. At the end of episode three, Rob, that you were talking about, Revenge of the Sith, when they all scatter to go into isolation, Yoda tells Obi-Wan, he's like, hey, I've got some work for you while you're in isolation. You're friend Qui-Gon has figured out the path towards immortality. And so that's how Obi-Wan then studies it. So when Obi-Wan dies, he just becomes like, he just disappears. Remember when Darth Vader kills him, he just ghosts up because he's figured this stuff out really well. And then when Yoda dies of old age and being sick of Luke's annoying questions that he keeps asking, (laughs) Yoda just kind of ghosts away. So they figured out like another thing beyond even what Qui-Gon was doing. But that doesn't happen to every Jedi. Most Jedi just die. And there's some hmm. explanation in the Clone Wars for how Qui-Gon might have studied that and figured it out. But that being said, in that lightsaber battle, Darth Maul gets cut in half and his unbridled rage at Obi-Wan keeps him alive through the dark side of the Force. But Qui-Gon, being at peace with the work that he's done and knowing his you know, oneness with the Force or whatever, Eastern religion sort of stuff you want to put to all that, he probably realized that Obi-Wan would be able to grow up and raise Anakin, maybe, you know, train him. I don't know, but he was at peace with it and probably just sort of allowed himself to die. I think there's also the idea that the dark side is stronger, right? So if Darth Maul in his 
dark side rage during this battle gets cut in half. He may have been harnessing some, you know, that crazy dark side power to keep him alive until he could, you know, get his robotic lower half or something. I don't, I don't know. Oh, John, are we going to accept the the statement that the dark side is stronger? Yeah, that's that's a... you don't see the, you don't see the light side shooting uh, lightning out of their hands. So I'm <laughs> yeah, going to go with Chris on that one. Well, they catch it, and then here's the thing: the whole deal that the dark side has always been after is immortality. That's what Darcidius has wanted the whole time. That's why he reanimated himself in the later ones. That's why he that's how he baited Anakin in. Is like keeping people alive, fighting off death. But none of them figured it out. But Qui-Gon did. Obi-Wan and Yoda did. So the theory is the, the dark side is um, more powerful. And there's... Uh, what, John, do you remember... Do you, do you know the story of why Darth Vader doesn't use Force Lightning? They no. Rebel his little suit. That's part of the reason. <laughs> but the other reason, too, is there's a theory. I don't know if this is confirmed can or not but when he lost his limbs he also lost the the midichlorines that were were in him as well and he lost some of his ability to do these type of things so supposedly no and i'm gonna ruin this and you guys are gonna go and and find the right answer and tell me later how how wrong (laughs) i am and anybody that's listening to this that is a a true fan is going to tell me how wrong I am too. Essentially, he, as he switched over to the dark side, at some point he went on some mission, and I think it was to steal somebody's lightsaber, which is how he basically he got his lightsaber back, or got a lightsaber back after he uh, lost it there. He went on a mission to some planet to, to get it and to kill some Jedi to do it, and he unleashed basically his full, like, dark side force, and it... it basically materialized as that force lightning and it almost destroyed the planet and himself and it's it scared him so much he never did it again i have not heard that so that is quite interesting yeah so i have another theory that i want to talk about um but first i want john to tell us uh, his favorite part of the star wars series okay i really loved playing the knights of the old republic game one and two it introduced you to a period where it wasn't attached to the main saga this was forty thousand years before Darth Vader, before the clone wars before the phantom menace and all that sort of thing and it introduces you to a whole new set of worlds new set of jedi companions and and a sith as well and just the the lore behind it and the the writing it's just phenomenal and also introduce some of my favorite uh, backstory to that as well uh, the mandalorian wars too where essentially a uh, if you don't know anything about mandalorians they they're very warrior-like and they strive to be the best in a fight originally they were a species but they were dying out and they realized that they couldn't sustain themselves so they kept so they would allow anybody who shared their ideals to be part of their clan or tribe and that's how they grew in numbers as they recruit more and more like-minded people and they become this unstoppable force and they wanted to take on their public who were the you know the big bad well i guess big good guys at the time and just i just love the uh, the lore that you get from the game can i change my answer to the new mandalorian series so did anybody else besides me not even 
that didn't even cross their mind thinking about the Disney Star Wars franchise? It did after I talked. Okay, so, but why is that? It does have a different feel. It's much darker, which I really like about it, because I feel like that's definitely more of how that world would have been. It wouldn't have been like as romanticized, I feel like, as some of the uh, the other movies make it look. Right, and that's also why I like The Empire Strikes Back, because they get into the nitty-gritty stuff as well, and it shows that, hey, the good guys aren't all invincible. They get steamrolled in the Battle of Hoth, and they have to go on the run, and things kind of fall apart for them. I feel like it's more real. It feels yeah. more real. So I saw a good thing. So it's called like a space space western, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is the style of like that. And so when I first watched it, I was like, oh, they're doing a space western. Kind of like what Star Wars started out like. You know, episode four is kind of space western-y. Uh, I almost said that earlier is one of the reasons I liked it, but I'm glad I didn't. So this could come up. I saw an interview with John Favreau. Favreau? Favreau. Who's the creator? And he's acted in a bunch of stuff. You you'll have seen him in a bunch of movies and things, comedies mostly. But he grew up as a huge Star Wars fan, and so when he got the opportunity to make this show, he did something that I think is super brilliant. He said in this interview, he's like, "I didn't want to be inspired by what George Lucas had done. I wanted to be inspired by the things that inspired George Lucas in the first place." And that's a really bold, creative like stance to take. Because now, instead of trying to follow in the wake of what George Lucas has done, what he said, he's like, I think I can make a good show. I'm going to basically stand next to George Lucas and continue to make this content. And I think that mentality probably is at least a huge contributing factor to why that show is so good. Because he's not just trying to continue what George Lucas did. He's trying to do it with George Lucas's work by pulling from the same inspiration. It's a subtle difference, but I hope that makes sense the way I said it. But I think that's probably... That like bold like ownership of the content might be a part maybe, of what. So maybe good. you guys could correct me if I'm wrong here, but wasn't Star Wars originally an answer to the growing interest in, of Star Trek that had uh, basically not been on the air for for a few years? I don't know. I so the heard that Star Star Trek original series um, with Shatner was in the '60s. And they basically did a few seasons. There's like three seasons, I think. And after the three seasons, just kind of stopped. It wasn't very popular during those three seasons. It wasn't until like 10 years later in the 70s when suddenly the reruns got really, really, really popular. People started getting way more into it. And uh, then Star Wars comes out. And eventually they start making more Star Treks again, too. I've not actually heard that. Because I know that I know he modeled it off of the Akira Kurosawa's The Hidden Fortress. I know there's a lot of influence between those between star wars and that but i have not heard that theory chris that's interesting well that's true. i wonder if maybe star trek it just uh, the popularity of star trek maybe got him thinking about the uh, space adventure style of it but clearly very different uh universes i'll definitely uh, text him and ask him if that was uh, the case <laughs> thanks man appreciate it <laughs> <laughs> yo george what up man i got a question yeah, that's, uh, that is. Oh, uh, what was your theory that you're going to talk about, Chris? Well, I'll think about it. Yeah, you know, some people call it a conspiracy theory, but just the more that I watch and pay attention to it, I'm not so sure that it's that much of a conspiracy. Uh oh. <laughs> what are you concerned about? <laughs> I don't know. I hear the word conspiracy theory. Let us have it. Okay. I. The, the conspiracy theory is 
that Jar Jar Binks is actually a Sith yep. Lord. Here it is. Now, but here's okay. I better not be picking on my favorite character. It makes him even better because honestly, if it's not true, then he is actually the worst character to ever be conceived in any sort of story method Very ever. True. Very true. At a minimum, he he has to be force sensitive. The kind of stuff you see this, you see him stumble into and get out of. The more and more I watch, I'm like, holy cow! There's there's something there's something here to this theory. I don't know if Sith Lord is is appropriate because at the level of uh, commitment to to the character, if he's a Sith Lord playing dumb the whole time, is even more committed than than the Death Star designer that Taylor mentioned. <laughs> All right, so Chris, I'll actually back you up on this one. Oh, not you. I don't think that it's true. But if you put this if you put the narrative together correctly, it holds water. And it holds water like this. Not that Jar Jar Binks is a Sith Lord, but the Jar Jar Binks character was originally designed to have been revealed later as a Sith Lord. That when they wrote episode 1, that was the plan, but he was so like reviled that they were like, no, let's just make him a minor character and have him play this one stupid part later where the you know Palpatine manipulates him in calling for the vote when it's necessary. But they introduced him basically the same way they introduced Yoda. When Yoda when Luke first crash lands on Dagobah, Yoda is this like annoying little swamp creature running around stealing his dinner, asking funny riddles, talking in a funny backwards way, and then is revealed later to be, oh, this is Yoda, you know, the, the great Jedi mind. It's going to train Luke. If they, if they had taken that archetype, that like story arc, and wanted to make a Sith out of it, but stretch it out longer, they, that, that, then Jar Jar Binks being introduced as this giant klutz who can't get anything right, and flooded the bombad boss's house or whatever, you know, all those things. <laughs> I banished. And then it fits all the same kind of things that Yoda fits when we first meet him for that for those couple of minutes, but they were gonna stretch it out. That's what people say. And then in like episode two or three, it would be revealed that, oh no, he's actually like a dark force user. Maybe a Jedi. I mean, a Sith Lord. I'm gonna do two arguments here. One is that the I think the best argument that he could be. And the other is the best argument that he isn't. And the best argument I think that he could be is because of all of the situations he's in and gets himself out of, that there's some sort of like control there that he, he can't just be that lucky. Yeah. And he's in these situations. He's somehow elevated to a, an ambassador position, right? Representative. A representative and conveniently ha- happens to be the second in charge on a lot of things where he ends up becoming the, <laughs> the ambassador to a lot of things. But so he's this representative and he's going on all these really somehow he's convinced people to let him go on all these really important things and do these really important things when he supposedly has has really nothing to show for his ability or yeah his ability to make any of that successful. And, and then, then at the same carries on through all the Clone Wars, by the way, what you're saying. Right. But he's, but they're still, he still has a job and they're still sending him on these things. Like, how could he do that if he wasn't somehow influencing their decisions with his And he he always gets out of it. Right. And he does. So the one I was thinking of is like, he basically, they discover and contain a universal bioweapon, like pandemic inducing bioweapon that would have basically ruined the galaxy. He conveniently discovers it 
and also conveniently stops it from being used yep. in this mission he never should have been a part of because he used the dark side to his his force powers to get on the mission in the first place <laughs> and that, that's the i think that's the biggest argument for him potentially being force sensitive is is just by nature of where his character is and does and gets out of things the biggest thing against it i think is in order to do all that i think he would have to be significantly force sensitive to the point that every other force sensitive person would sense the force when he was around just like they sense oh i can sense that so one's here like so and so's is here well okay they don't ever pick up on palpatine because of how he uses it he's sneaky about it that's so true, and, and he would be the sneakiest of them if he turned out to be Force-sensitive. But uh, there's just so many other times where they can... Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's just so many other times. Like, in in those early episodes is when they also, like, literally measure Anakin's midichlorian level, right? So how could they be that sure of, of Anakin when there really wasn't even that much to go off of and, and not even know that Jar Jar was this, like, super Sith Lord? Yeah, I don't really know what the mechanism is in the Star Wars universe for testing children. But they obviously they do, and they identify a certain midichlorian count, and those are... I don't know. Are they just taken? Like, are they just... Is it, does the family have a choice, or do they just uh, get I taken? the family does have a choice, but at the time, you know, the Jedi were extremely revered, so it's like, hey, you have this warrior bunk person, very spiritual, come down and say, hey, your son or daughter you know, is very Force-sensitive. We would like to take them back and train them in the ways of the force and so that's a, a great honor especially if it's like some backwater planet and don't have any claim to fame because hey my son or daughter is a jedi not uh, to mention giving them a better life you know, right exactly them. yeah i'm thinking of two other similar like stories where that happens one is i'm thinking of harry potter when dumbledore goes to the orphanage to get tom riddle later becomes Voldemort. And they're like that visitor coming, the other, the outside, you know, I've never heard of your world. What do you mean? There's wizards and I'm one of them and all that, that kind of imagery. And then the other one that I'm thinking of is Ender's game where all the children in the world have those little implants to measure them. And around age six or seven, most of them lose the implants because they're not smart enough or whatever. And then Ender, you know, has his pull, but and he felt bad about it. Because it got pulled later than his brothers, which meant that they thought he was smarter. But then he's like, oh, good, it got pulled, so I'm not going. But they actually were still watching him. So, like, those two differences is, like, in the wizard world, nobody knows that they're being watched, you know, until they show that they're magical. And in Ender's game, everybody knows it's this huge social issue about when your chip gets pulled and they, they know you're not good enough to go, or if you do get selected to go or whatever. It seems like the Star Wars universe it has to be somewhere in between, right? Like some people have to know about Jedi and have to know, you know, a neighbor that got taken to go be a Jedi or whatever. But some of those little backwater planets, they would have never heard. They wouldn't know, unless maybe a distant legend. That's very true. Well, and we haven't seen the show yet, but if you've seen the trailer for the second season of Mandalorian, when his like whatever his le guild leader or whatever is telling telling him that he needs to go take baby yoda to his own people or whatever he even says something like so you're telling me i have to take this child to some what would he say like some sort of wizards or something like that so i feel like if that dude doesn't even know what a jedi is and that's way further down the timeline if you that remember, was in the last episode yeah oh was it they also cut in the trailer too but yeah taylor's right yeah. it wasn't yeah, it wasn't the last episode. I have to go watch it. Rewatch it now. <laughs> I know. I, my wife and I are rewatching it right now because we like got sick of the office, and so we're rewatching the Mandalorian. Wow, the got sick of the office. Game. 
Uh, yeah, we're not sick of it. Just like we were, we were, we were going pretty heavy on watching the office. <laughs> the baseball season came, and then the breaks for baseball season. Now we're doing Mandalorian. So we we just finished it the other day, and that's why it's fresh in my mind. Because she's like mentioned something about Jedi. You know, like I've heard of, I've heard it because he can use the Force. Baby Yoda uses the Force to describe it to her. She's like, oh, I've heard of these ancient beings that we fought with, you know. These... Which I might be reaching on this one, but I think she was harkening back towards the, uh, like I said earlier, the Mandalorian Wars, because the main character of Knights of the Old Republic is, uh, spoiler alert, is Revan, who was a, a Jedi, but then he turned Sith, but then he got mind wiped as a Jedi again, and he was considered, you know, one of the greatest strategists and Jedi to fight the Mandalorians. And so i just watched the trailer they call them enemy sorcerers but she does say she says something like this this group of sorcerers called jedi and he's like let me get this straight you want me to search the galaxy to find this group of enemy sorcerers to deliver the child pretty much <laughs> this is and, the way <laughs> yeah this is the way and then also if you remember in order 66 they when they kill the jedi you know they're also going to erase anything that has to do with the jedi maintain that they never existed yeah, that actually raises a really interesting question that, like, I think about this a lot when I think about Star Wars stuff. Media and communication in the Star Wars universe. How? There's no centralization of media. The There's no. Net. Is there? Mm -hmm. They can access the same pieces of information? Yep. It's like okay. basically cable news, I guess. It's called the Holonet. It's a large Twitter. communication system. Yeah. Yeah. And because you've got a functionally infinite number of planets because they haven't all been discovered. There's still the dark zone and the what's the dark zone and the mysterious zone or the unknown the regions. Outer like rim, that. Unknown regions. So there's like a functionally infinite number of planets. And even the ones that they have, they can't keep track of them. None of them know. Nobody knows all the planets and stuff like that. That's how a, a, a whole system was able to be erased off the Jedi archives. And nobody noticed it until Obi-Wan was looking Quite. for something specific. All right. Camino. The amount of information systems that could be out there talking independently of each other. I mean, you think American news media is disjointed right now. I can't imagine that they had any cohesive conversation as a culture, you know, like as a the empire, the republic. Other than if you're in the centralized government in, on Coruscant, you would have no idea. I don't know. I, mean, I can see that because you got the, you got Coruscant, you got the core worlds and then it kind of spreads out from there so you would be able to access the hollow net in the core worlds type area but if you go out to like say tatooine you're not really going to have that because I, they mentioned that you know in episode one like hey we don't accept republic credits here it's only cash and only money even in the core worlds think about it like this like we don't watch european news because we're americans they watch some of ours because we have loud annoying politics but <laughs> They don't care about what's happening in our day-to-day -day news cycles. We don't care about what's happening in theirs. So if I live on a planet, let's say Alderaan, because that's the only one I could think of, why would I care about what's going on in Coruscant or their conversations that they're having, except as it directly pertains to us or any particular activist things that are going on? Maybe we're looking at it at the wrong angle. Maybe we should be looking at like each planet is a state as opposed to its own world. You know what I'm saying? The Holland is like the big thing to a lot of people. Chris, yeah. what do you think media and communication in the Star Wars universe would feel like? That's an excellent question, Taylor, and I'm glad you asked it. Uh, <laughs> in regards to media and communication in the Star Wars universe, I think that it, it would have to look like some sort of uh, method of communication that was at least as fast as their method of travel, uh, which was faster than light. And uh, we, we know they were able to send messages both 
overtly and covertly. They had holodisks that they could put into droids to, to send secret holograms, but they also had radio communications as well that seemingly could somehow travel faster than light through the galaxies. Pretty were... instantly. Right, right. So I think communication in uh, being the way it appeared in the movies, super radio wave style, I think media would have to be the same way. They may have had, I'm sure each group had their own methods of, of saying things, but considering how much turmoil the entire galaxy was in, uh, the the Empire and the Republic going back and forth. I'm sure the Empire had their, their propaganda network, especially on all the places that they visited and said, hey, you're ours now. Um, and uh, I'm sure that at certain points, the Republic probably had some pretty public methods as well, and then eventually probably a lot more of the covert style. Very interesting. I'm yeah. sure there was a, a radio station somewhere playing the cantina music. <laughs> Welcome back to uh, Cantina Music 24-7. I'm your DJ. <laughs> but I think they use like hyperspace beacons and things like that to move information. That is something we can't really conceive of when we can barely get a signal in a concrete room. <laughs> yeah, my Wi-Fi is degraded because I'm not in the same room as my, my router. I know, right? Crazy. I think that is pretty awesome. I would love to be in the star wars universe i'll just I'll, I'll freeze myself in carbonite and wake up you know however or put myself back in time because you know galaxy far far away a long time ago i don't think i would like to be in the star wars universe because i don't think they valued uh, people that think like we do very much um the for the stories that are told the predominant leader is the empire and they are decidedly anti-free uh, thinking, critical thinking, uh, leadership roles. They are very much fall in line and do exactly as you're told. They literally control an army of clones that are essentially drones at that point. Well, technically that's, that's not true because the clones after Order 66 and the start of the Galactic Empire were slowly phased out because they were growing in age and the genetic template of Django was becoming unreliable. So what they relied on was, you know, conscriptions from local planets. And granted, they weren't as well trained as the clone troopers because, I mean, they're literally, clone troopers are literally bred for war. And so you had your normal Joe Schmo, your your PV2s, your PFCs, and your specialists in the Empire. And I, I think Solo does a, a decent job at that. Like, they show the Imperial Army on Manbeam. They're not all clone troopers. Sure, yeah. And then the later, the latest series finn it was a former uh trooper even though he was just a janitor they also had you know the roger roger like actual drones but they're very much a fan of follow the rules do exactly what you want and do i don't think we'd be very successful uh, maybe in the republic or the i don't know i mean it's a it's a job it's just like the military you follow the orders that your commanding officer tells you to do you they tell you to go here you go there and you do what they tell you my favorite stormtrooper scene is in the force awakens when kylo ren is like just having a big temper tantrum and he's got his lightsaber out like a child just smashing the walls and his little like computer desk thing just going crazy and these two stormtroopers walk around the corner in the hallway to see him going crazy through the, the doorway and they're like yep not going that way and they just like turn around <laughs> and go the other way they're like nope. uh no, nope <laughs> just nope right out <laughs> The second best scene is definitely from Mandalorian when those two motorbike stormtroopers are. Yeah, that's right. And they're sitting there having. That's like the most realistic. I feel like for at least the army in Absolutely. our 
the United States having yeah. like two like lower enlisted soldiers just bickering about stupid stuff. I mean, that's pretty. <laughs> that's about right. To the, that's to the T. So I think we covered a wide range of Star Wars topics there and conspiracy theories. <laughs> so anybody have any last conspiracy theory or something they want to throw in? The last thing I want to throw in is just in reference to something that was mentioned earlier about Yoda dying because of ask, being asked so many dumb questions. My favorite meme right now is the one where it's just showing Yoda laying on his deathbed. It says, now that I have children, I really understand the scene in Return of the Jedi where jo Yoda is just so tired of answering Luke's question, he up and dies. Because <laughs> as a father of a toddler, and I love my daughter, but I completely understand that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Once mine starts articulating her questions into actual words, I'm looking forward to it. It's gonna be fun. Hooray! All right, I've, I've, I have a question for everybody. You okay. can give a very short explanation, but it can't be long. I need you to pick. Either you get from the Star Wars universe, you can either own a lightsaber or the Millennium Falcon. One or the other can't be both. Go, Chris. A uh, lightsaber, hands down. John. Lightsaber. Rob. Millennium Falcon, just because I know I would accidentally kill myself with a lightsaber. <laughs> I'm going to go Millennium Falcon, too, because I probably wouldn't leave our solar system, but it would be nice to be able to get an explore pretty easily. Well, I would say that with a lightsaber, I could probably eventually end up getting something to explore the solar system with. And whether or not I would hurt myself with a lightsaber is irrelevant, because I would have a lightsaber. Sure, you would have a lightsaber. No, but you understand, we're taking in our universe... You're not in the Star Wars universe. You're in our universe. You can only have one of those items. I'd still go with lightsaber. I think oh, we're I'm... definitely closer to developing a lightsaber in our universe than a Millennium Falcons. So somebody somebody recently there. developed a photon saber, I believe, which is in the Star Wars universe, the precursor to the lightsaber. Because theoretically, lightsabers are, are not scientifically possible. But I'll, I'll, sh I'll show the link to you guys later. Um, and I'll also show you the link to LEGO Star Wars. The complete saga, so you guys can play that too, because it'll change your life if you haven't played it. Which already existed in our universe, so that's helpful. <laughs> what if we are the galaxy that's far, far away and a long time ago? All right, you can't even get me started on this, because i got to stop on this. You know, we, need, we need to round this episode out and bring it home. So, there we go. So I think that's a good one to end it on, dude. A little, little food for thought. <laughs> so... Thanks, everyone, for all doing along, and tune in next time for Depends on a Topic.